Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. And it is my honor today to welcome to the program retired United States Navy Admiral Bill Moran, who served as the Navy's 39th Vice Chief of Naval Operations. He is a principal advisor with the West Exec Advisors Consultancy and also other companies, including his own WFM Advisors. He's also affiliated with the University of Maryland's Applied Research Laboratory for Intelligence and Security. Sir, thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Vago. Great to be with you. Uh, an absolute honor and pleasure having you aboard. Uh, you know, um, and and we've been uh, talking for some time about having you on to talk about uh, one of your passions while in uniform, and, and which continues to this day, which is uh, data and and helping uh, the nation and the Department of Defense and the United States Navy come up with better data strategies. You started focusing on this when you were chief of naval personnel, uh, and as uh, the vice chief, you also pushed the Navy to begin thinking about what a coherent data strategy would be. You had that as part of your Sailor 2025 initiative, if memory uh, serves uh, correctly, to improve recruiting, training, and retention. Uh, and as, as, the, as the vice, you were looking at how data can actually help the Navy make better decisions, uh, ultimately, uh, as, as an enabling tool. And, and you argued that ultimately everything depends on data, whether it's cyber or machine learning or artificial intelligence or, or, or anything else. Uh, Deputy Defense Secretary Kath Hicks last month issued her brief but insightful memo creating the data advantage, which, which was an important step. Why did you begin focusing on this issue and why is it even more important today? Well, that's a great question. It's an interesting uh, story. Started out when uh, I began my tour as the chief enabled personnel and my fleet master chief, uh, April Beldo, and I went around the world in the first three or four months in the job, talking to sailors, families, organizations to try to understand their frustrations and how we can improve service for them. And most of it revolved around lacking insight at the S1 level and not having the kinds of information available at our fingertips to make adjustments. And it seemed to all of us really that we were making very broad policy uh, decisions that affected large spots of the population and was not very discreet for the areas we really needed to get after. Uh, and there were, a number of examples, uh, both financial, order writing, understanding, career management, all those sorts of things. And so when I came back to the headquarters, we sat down together and started walking through what are we doing to improve uh, our access to data that would help us make better decisions. And there were efforts underway, had been underway for some number of years, but they didn't seem to have the energy behind them principally because the resourcing wasn't there. And uh, the more we started asking questions of each other, the more it became very apparent that we needed a, a, a focused effort to get after this. And it started with, where is our data? How much of it do we have uh, access to? Is it shared? Does it talk to each other? And after some number of months, uh, with a look at what was what existed in the architecture for just the HR world, we found uh, sixty some databases that were supporting a variety of different systems throughout the domain. 
and a lot of it was old. Uh, a lot of it was written in language that you and I would might recognize, but but was not modern and did not talk across horizontally or vertically very well. And so we began an effort to try to solve that problem. And uh, this is where it gets really difficult because it involves moving money from one pot to another, moving people, potentially telling people that they they no longer had the role they had before, but we're going to change it. And that becomes a real cultural challenge. So anyways, it was really all about trying to under, have a better understanding of uh, what the chemistry and makeup demographics of the entire workforce was and how do we more effectively and more efficiently manage that population. And if you um, look at it, right, I mean, it gets into uh, data ownership and any change is about not just the technological, but the cultural as, as well as, as aligning the policy elements of, of that. Talk to us a little bit about what the data strategy we need, because this is something that's critical and an enabler for almost everything else we're doing. The same issues exist today, if not worse uh, in, in, in some respects, although there might be greater awareness of it. What's the kind of data strategy you think we need uh, as a department, but clearly even as a nation, right? I mean, at the, at the end of the day, this is cyber is about data. IT is about data. Information security is about data. Artificial intelligence is about data. And so is machine learning and autonomy, right? It's all about the data. Yeah, it is. It's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great line. It is all about the data. Uh, and I remember talking at the uh, Surface Naval Association back in oh, a little over two years ago. And I made the statement that uh, to, I was making it to industry leaders that your data, we actually paid for that data. This is, this is our data too. And we need to learn how to share it because there was a lot of debate about what's proprietary data and what's government-owned data. And, and of course, data is not only important to, to understand and operate equipment and budgets, but it's also a, a way to influence, uh, frankly, how you write contracts. And, and some of that proprietary data is fundamental to how industry is able to uh, improve their bottom line. So it's, it was a... Um, it was an attempt to at least draw the line or begin the conversation about how are we going to get better um, collectively uh, from an industry and from a service standpoint and a joint service standpoint, uh, if we can't share data or if we don't share data. So that was, that was important. So I, I just, let me kind of give you the fundamentals of how, how I think this is kind of organized and, and why this conversation about a very non-sexy topic uh, is so important. Uh, the sexy topics are artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, all of that stuff. And, and to, to some extent, um, other capabilities that are, that are uh, gonna need data to operate. Um, so there's three basic elements here and, and they're, they're fundamental uh, to the, the future of how we operate as a, as a service and, and industry is doing this. And I'm learning a lot on the outside about it and how industry is applying this, uh, this science and engineering. But first, of course, is the data. Uh, and then the second is compute power. And, and compute power is getting cheaper and it's becoming pretty unlimited in terms of its capability. 
And then, of course, there are algorithms and models. Uh, and those are kind of commodities today. Uh, they're, 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 not, uh, they're not as customized as they, they, they used to be And when we were talking big data analytics. So of those three basic elements, uh, data is the biggest constraint. Uh, you have so much data to get through. Uh, to curate, to label, to tag, to get ready for structured input into the machine called the computer and the algorithm, uh, that it's the thing that it's the long pull in a tent to achieving your objectives to be a digital organization. So with that in mind, uh, we need a strategy to implement right now to get to taking care of the data, figuring out how to both collect the data, transport the data, store the data, process the data, and then the, 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 that, that loop needs to continue, be a closed loop where you're constantly iterating and providing feedback along the way because the data changes and the models need to understand when that data changes. And that's, that's an important aspect of this. So it's the blocking and tackling effort that has to be done at the foundational level uh, that if you don't have that accomplished, when the technology is ready to accept it, then the technology doesn't run the way you want it to. And so the strategy becomes, I gotta have, I've gotta develop a plan. I'm, I'm very happy to see Secretary Hicks's memo. I think it's a good vision and the strategy or the plan will be laid out in the coming months, according to that memo. I'll be very interested to see how they do it because every plan in order to support that strategy has to have resources associated with it. And then you have to, and you have to manage the execution of those resources in that plan. And then of course, the final, the final piece to this that's so important uh, that I haven't seen laid out specifically yet is the accountability who's accountable for this this larger strategy to to get our data in a place where it can be utilized by things like artificial intelligence what are the cultural changes that are going to be necessary with doing this because decision making is really based on intuition experience but also a, a lot of gut and the gut can be very, very wrong, right? It can get you in the wrong kind of wars. It can drive you to the wrong kind of programs that if you took maybe a somewhat more empirical approach, you might not have gone down those decisions, right? At the end of the day, we want this also to be a very critical, as Dr. Hicks puts in her memo, a decision support tool, uh, which it's increasingly uh, becoming to give you, to harness the data and actually help you with some ob objective decisions. But that also means some cultural change, right? What are the cultural changes that are going to be necessary given it, it, it changes how people fundamentally make decisions? Yeah. It, seven years ago, Bago, I would have told you that uh, with a memo like this coming out, we would see a lot of people in the broader DOD enterprise starting to go into their corner to protect their data uh, because it, it could appear to some that this is DOD's attempt to have the data tell them uh, maybe more informed uh, information about a service's choice in their budget process or the choice in their technology process or platform process. And that is, you know, 
it's it's the it's an area inside the Pentagon where trust is uh, it's 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 a tough thing to find, and people are always protecting information, knowledge, and data. And so, seven years ago, this would have been probably met with a lot of skepticism. But I think I think in the last seven years, for sure, most of the enterprise understands that moving towards a, a more digital capability, a more digitized uh, organization, and ultimately an AI organization, we're going to have to get after this. But there's still no reference in here into the memo, but it, hopefully it'll come with the strategy and the plan, the resourcing to do this, because it's, it's a long, hard slog to go after data. It's not as simple as some people might think it is. Uh, and it depends on the kind of data that you're trying to, uh, to clean up and to structure for use by uh, an algorithm uh, and an AI. So I think um, th that cultural shift should be easier now. Uh, in other words, it should be the motivation for people to participate willingly to the direction in this memo uh, should be easier to accomplish than it has been in the past. But until I see the resourcing, until everybody sees the resourcing, um, people will be defensive about how to implement this. Um, you, you've always been right in that resourcing drives culture and and policy at the uh, at, at at the ultimately. Um, the question I've got is right. Seven years is an enormous period of time. Um, we've increasingly been hearing leaders. In fact, it was last year that. Uh, Jim McConville, the Army Chief of Staff, and, and your good friend, uh, you know, when I said, how long do we have to get this right with the Chinese? You know, one of the things he said is like, you know, two years, like we've got to kind of get on step really quickly if we're going to keep deterring a country that, you know, feels the bit in its teeth and, and thinks it's, uh, you know, it, it looks at a historic ascendance and all the things that go with it. I mean, I would note we did an atom bomb in three years, all of World War II was less than four years, right? And so seven years, just to screw around with the data policy, it's it's like a lifetime, right? Um, where, how long do we have to get this right? And where is the United States vis-a-vis -vis its competitors? Because we, as Americans, love to tell us how, tell ourselves how great we are. That's terrific because it gives you kind of a can-do spirit, but it can also blind you from reality you might not be as good as you think you are. How long do we have? And is it conceivable? And do people need to think of this as we may actually be behind? And so we've got to be running twice as fast. Well, if you're asking me if where are we with respect to the data part of this discussion, as opposed to the AI uh, part of the discussion, then I would tell you that we are the capability to move faster than we have up to this point is out there, uh, but it hasn't been resourced. So what has happened instead are there are lots of small projects that have been going on in a variety of different areas, whether it's in the shipyards or it's in the aviation depots, or it's even in doing some of this work with uh, budgets and palms and those sorts of things. They're happening but they're happening in, you know, the classic stovepipes in the verticals instead of uh, the horizontals, if you will. Uh, that's going to take time because it takes a collective group 
of people working collaboratively across the horizontal uh, uh, the horizontal sphere to be able to take full advantage of of the ability to get the data into a system that allows us to use things like AI and 5G in the future to move information quickly and to have information provide insights and perceptions that uh, can be used in decision-making both at the, at the administrative level, the executive level, inside the Pentagon and other headquarters to the tactical level at the, at the tactical edge. Those are, uh, those are, the technology is moving faster than, than our efforts to get the data ready for that technology is my point. So uh, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, the timing, uh, you said, what's the time horizon? I remember when I was briefed in N1, I said, what's it going to take to the point where we can put all this on an, uh, in an app on an iPhone and, and have, you know, mobile access to information in the HR domain? And the answer was 10 years. And, and I, it, it floored me. I was, I was naively thinking, oh, this 10-month project, you know, we'll just clean up this data. We'll, we'll bring in some, some uh, company or something that can just plug into our, all our data sources and clean it up, and bam, we're off and running. Well, it's not that easy. And so uh, they were closer to right than I was. My staff was closer to right than I was on that. Here we are, what, seven, about seven years later, and a lot of progress has been made in that in that area, but it didn't move as fast as it could have because resourcing became an issue. And so there's resourcing on the compute side, there's resourcing on the data cleansing side and the data storage side and all of those things that have gotten in the way of moving quickly. I think we're positioned now, the department's positioned now to move quicker if they can find the resources to do that uh, in, a, in a way that uh, meets the maturity of the AI uh, and the technology to plug it in and, and get it to operate. So I, I couldn't give you a, a time horizon, but I think Jim McConville, when he said two years, I think it's possible to do a lot of this in certain sectors of the service, uh, but only if we, we go all in and we and provide, and when I say we, if the, the country goes in and provides the resources to do it. There is a growing sense of urgency, right? And and still messing around on, right? I mean, we, we don't have a national cyber strategy yet. We we don't have a national uh, quantum strategy, right? I mean, at, at the end of the day, the Chinese are also investing enormous resources in quantum capabilities. I know that people who listen to this know that this is a pet issue of mine, but the fact that we lack one is highly problematic. Um, I know that there is a lot of highly classified and intelligent work going on, but this is something that is going to change society as we know it. Uh, we don't really have an AI strategy, right? And, and so each of these pieces would seem to me need to fall in place even before we can get to, to moving as quickly as we need to, to, to move. The Chinese, roughly at the same time you were talking about this, Bill, uh, you know, the Chinese started talking about it. It's just that they have kind of an organized, concerted plan. Are, are we as a head, as we like to think ourselves when we're looking at an adversary like that, because if nothing else, that should drive a sense of urgency to what we're trying to do, because ultimately we're trying to deter conflict. And there's a miscalculation. If your adversary looks at you and goes, wow, they can't get out of their own way. They're still screwing around with, you know, 
you know, their companies and their government are still duking it out over who owns the data. I know that that's a battle you fought as well. Are, where, where are our adversaries compared to where we are? And are we as far ahead as we like to think ourselves being? Yeah. So again, on the, on the artificial intelligence, quantum technology and others that are going to be um, fundamental to how we operate as a military and as a country in the future. I think we, we have the best talent uh, in the world at this, and we're developing uh, wonderful capabilities. I do not think we are uh, anywhere near where we need to be on the data front. And I think uh, folks, you know, countries like China can apply a lot of resources, both human and financial, uh, on the data front. They are also starting from a different place. We have a lot of data, but it's very, a lot of it's pretty old. And we have to make decisions about how much of that data we really want uh, to analyze and process. Uh, they've started kind of fresh. It's, it's kind of like comparing um, GM to, and this is probably unfair, but GM to uh, Amazon. You know, Amazon's a relatively new company. They start with data that is already structured in most cases. They are able to take advantage of uh, advanced analytics and algorithms and AI much quicker than a GM model can because they've got a similar kind of old data structure that they've got to go in and, and resolve as they build out their technology. I kind of see us in, in a similar position, but until you really, again, if until you really focus and make data as is laid out in this memo, a strategic asset, uh, it's, it's going to take longer than we would like to think. Uh, I don't think people fully appreciate yet. Not everybody fully appreciates yet just how how difficult uh, and complex it's going to be to get a, get us to a point where all that data is the right data, usable data to uh, employ tools like AI and machine learning and ultimately quantum. Um, I uh, the uh, and I should point out to our audience, right? General Motors Defense is our uh, technology uh, report uh, sponsor. Although the, the push the, the pushback that they would give is right that they are looking and trying. They understand what their challenges are as a, as a large heritage company uh, and how to focus on the enabling elements uh, to become a much more agile uh, organization as as they're as they're uh, trying trying to do. Um, let me let me take you to. The, you know, and, and it, it's interesting, uh, Bill, that you mentioned, right, there's, there's gold in those warehouses, right? But the question is, how much of that gold we're going to use now that are in ancient programming languages, or unfortunately, good old fashioned paper, uh, um, uh, you know, some of which is useful, some of it is somewhat less useful. Um, what is the relationship with industry? Because we have a tendency of sort of looking at this as government being the problem. But, you know, with all due respect, industry has its own challenges. It's in it to make money and to monetize. There are some who uh, were bemused by the debate over data that, well, no, 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 you guys bought the weapons. We maintain the data. Uh, and you were among the people who said, no, I bought the whole thing. I'm the guy who's actually collecting a lot of this data and, it, and it's mine ultimately. What's the relationship that we need between government and industry um, in, in order to have this work right? And do you need 
the data equivalent of a Hyman Rickover who's technically proficient, politically savvy, utterly ruthless when he needs to be, and generally respected enough that the kindly old gentleman or the kindly old lady is he or she who must be obeyed when it, when it comes to this stuff. Well, there's no, there's no question that uh, continuity in this role is going to be important. You know very well, and I've heard you talk about it a number of times, that lots of good ideas, lots of good initiatives get started in DOD and in the services, then fade away when that particular leader moves on, which is often within a couple of years, if not less, at, at senior positions, which makes it difficult without a plan. And so a plan for this is also a plan, and industry does this better than most, and that is that they have a, a continuity, a talent management plan that ensures that if the company says we are going to go in this direction, these are strategic assets, and there's it's a corporate asset that needs to be shepherded through uh, to make us more competitive. They're going to figure out how to put people in place and have a have a, a lineage of folks that can succeed the other succession plan to ensure continuity. So a Hyman Rickover type person uh, with, with that kind of empowered to do those sorts of things may be necessary in order to have the accountability for both the service, the DOD, the services and Congress. Because one of the problems here is that we, you know, we, we play this, we play this game all the time, the services play this game all the time with uh, trying to understand execution and execution marks. And you, you, you often, programs often get marked by committees over, over execution. And, and that's fair when we're under executing, but at some point you have to put the money back in, in order to achieve the objective. And that's, often lost in a year or two that goes by and, and uh, we, we don't put the money back in and then the, then the program continues to suffer or you don't deliver as fast uh, and with as high a quality as you would like. So, to, I mean, would it be nice to have a Hyman Rickover type person? I think it would move it along a lot faster. Uh, but I think, I think there would be a lot of institutional resistance to that. Uh, because you lose control to some extent of your resources when that happens. Do, do we need to do a, um, you know, what, what I sort of think in my mind is sort of rip the Band-Aid off year, right? It, instead of nickel and diming this on short-changed resources that year-to-year change, right? Everybody starts with grand. You know, I'm going to start this off with $5 million. And then year two will be 50 million. Year four, it'll be 300 million. And, you know, the plan is half-baked. Congress looks at it and goes, okay, you guys don't even know what you want because each one of these last four years, a different guy's come in with a different vision. Do, do we need to sort of say, okay, look, here's what we have to do. It's going to cost us $20 billion to do it. And dag nabbit, this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to do it in one year. And, and take that risk. And just do it and and have a list of top 10 or five enablers and and literally direct vast resources to unscrewing these elements. Because I just my fear is, uh, Bill, right, everything you're making is uh, saying is sensible and everything Dr. Hicks, who gets it, 
right? Uh, and I and I believe the defense secretary gets it, and I believe people in the administration get it. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's about focus, and you know, everything's important. If everything's important, nothing's important. It would seem to me that some of the most important things are not getting tended to, not because people are stupid or nefarious or anything. It's just they got a lot on their to-do list. Do we need to have a year where we say, okay, look, this is the year of unscrewing this and and doing it will take $30 billion and that's what we have to do as a nation. I mean, is, is that is that an option or is that just a Pollyanna suggestion? Uh, uh, it, it's, it's somewhat Pollyannish. Uh, it, it, you just described what Nirvana would be for a lot of program managers out there. Just give me all the resources <laughs> in the world and off I go. Uh, and, and, but the reality is there's probably not enough capacity out there to do all of those things simultaneously across all the joint forces, DOD, all the uh, systems commands and everything in between. Uh, but I do think you could reasonably put together a, a five-year plan that, that goes after the, uh, the collection mechanisms, the, the processing mechanisms or platforms that can speed up that that uh, processing of the data, uh, the transport layers, whether it's 5G or networks at the tactical edge, those all have to be uh, developed and they are being developed, uh, but they have to be modernized uh, along, you know, the legacy networks, for example, have to be modernized along with the development of new networks. Uh, you have to get to the storage. I mean, storage has always been an issue, uh, and we are just now, I think, finally getting to the point where this, the ability to use the cloud for some of this is 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 in front of us. It was in front of the department, and that's a good news story, which, as you know, has been under protest and debate for a number of years. And then I think really the, the area where most progress is being made is in the analysis that machine learning AI capabilities are, are moving uh, both in laboratories and experiments in a variety of different stove pipes. Uh, and, and I may be a little dated here, but I've only been out for a little less than two years now, but I, I'm, I'm sure those still exist. So the challenge is to how to, you got to put a plan to address all of those components uh, at the same time with, you know, what, what is your long pulling intent, your critical path? And in my view, it's going to be data because we're not paying as close attention to that uh, kind of hand waving it saying, Oh, that'll get done. Or we'll have some right. automated feature that can do it. And I, and I've had a lot of conversations with industry, uh, tech companies, and others out there who, who will tell you that uh, there are attempts to automate, and it may get there someday, but we're a ways away from that. So you're just going to have to bite the bullet. There's a human automation collaborative approach to this, this data curation aspect of building a digital Navy, for example. And, and that's that's the work that has to be done, and it's uh, it's probably it's slow and it's hard and it's under resourced in most cases. Uh, let me let me ask you one last uh, uh, question, uh, and we've got about thirty seconds for this. But you know, part of part of the challenge is channeling your history, right? 
there are those at General Motors, if you talk to the senior most levels of the company, uh, as I have, they will tell you, look, we're, we're an innovative company. We've always been an innovative company, and we're channeling that innovative history uh, in you know the amount of technology we're actually developing and investing and, and thinking thoughtfully about how to apply that. I'm not trying to see lawyer for them. But it, you know, the Department of Defense, the Department of the Navy, the United States Army and Air Force are all have, have enormous histories of innovation uh, over centuries. Ultimately, what's the advice you have for folks who are either in the department or in industry about how to get this right? Collaboration is essential uh, across the services, across in, within the services, within the, within the tribes, the, the stovepipes, uh, that collaboration. There has to be a there has to be an environment where that is is easy to do, and uh, the same with industry. You know, being able to pull them in where they have good ideas and and can provide technology and processes that will improve the speed at which we get to the point where we we all know we need to be, uh, so that we aren't behind. We don't wake up one day and um, we're we're being outmaneuvered. And uh, and and late to executing a a war fight, if you will, uh, because our adversary has been able to employ these tools faster than we can. Sir, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, real honor and pleasure having you on. Look forward to having you on as a frequent, uh, more frequent contributor on this and other questions. Thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Vago. Great to great to be with you today, and I uh, look forward to future opportunities. Have a great one. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report and check us out on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship and we'll see you again tomorrow.